we're moving on to Mishnah Beis. So in Pirgeovas, the, the, the way they break up the Mishnahis gets, gets very different from different uh, editions. If you guys have ever seen, uh, a lot of times they quote which Mishnah is totally different depending on which Pirgeovas you go to. Okay, but I think in the beginning we're still okay. Right? We call it Mishnah Beis. So we said uh, uh, yesterday that Shimon Tzadik wasn't a cobble from anybody. Okay? He is Anshik Nesagadol. He's the end of the Anshik Nesagadol. Hey, that's his thing. So now, it, uh, like we said from the Tiferes Yisrael, so each of these uh, Tanayim, you should try to understand them in terms of the generation that they were in and uh, the personage that they were. And their message is linked to what was going on with them and who they were. And again, we said that Tiferes Yisrael didn't do the job. He didn't then explain it to me, but we can because we have Wikipedia. So we can do some research on the people and learn a little bit about them and their time and see how maybe the things that they're saying are matim and fit. So Shimon Tzadik is an easy one. I don't think we're always going to be able to do it, but we could do it now. Shimon Tzadik is very, very easy because there's an awful lot of information about him, right? And the reason is as follows. Shimon Tzadik was the end of the Anshik Nesagadola. And as we spoke about Anshik Nesagadola during this transition period, so Shimon Tzadik was the end of the transition period. After Shimon Tzadik, the world is a different world. Okay, while Shimon Tzadik was alive, the Nir Ma'aravi of the menorah and the base of Migdash never burned out. Okay? They used to, there was a mitzvah that they had to, what do you call but it never burned out. That's why Hanukkah was always so funny, because candles not burning out was a daily affair in the base of Migdash. But the Nir Ma'aravi never burned out. After he died, yes it did. Mm-hmm. Right? While Shimon Tzadik was alive, the Maracha, the outside Maracha on the Mizbeach, the main fire that was on the Mizbeach, never burnt out. Right? There's a mitzvah to bring two logs and put on it in the, every morning. And uh, in his time, those two logs were always magically, miraculously sufficient. Okay? And after he died, not necessarily. While he was alive on Yom Kippur, every time the coin got all, you know, they, they picked the, the, the lottery for which goat goes where. Mm-hmm. So the, the right, it was always the right hand, Hashem in the right hand. Hashem always came out in the right hand when he put his thing in. After he died, sometimes yay, sometimes nay. While Shimon Tzadik was alive, we had a, a red piece of wool in the Beis HaMikdash, one that we tied to the goat, and the other one we had up where everyone could see. Mm-hmm. And when we were forgiven, the goat, it turned white. Right? Which always, uh, honestly, there's a part of the, the davening in the Kippur that most shuls skip. Um, most places that I've been, they skip it. Um, or people read very quiet to themselves. But it's, for me, it's, it's one of the most... Uh, powerful parts of the davening, I say it to myself. Um, it's a little bit of a kinos. There's a kinos. In the, after the Seder Avoda, where we go through everything that happened, the things, and the thing turns white, and the Kohen Gadol comes, and we all sing our song. Right? Everybody loves that song, the Kohen, Mari Kohen song. That's very rousing and, uh, and exciting. And zest. Right afterwards, there's a kina about Ashriya Ayin Rasa Koleila. Fortune is the eye that got to see that. And now Dalvan of Shenu, and how we're, we're, we're depressed, we're brokenhearted that we don't get to have any of these things. For me, it's always very moving. I don't know why people don't do it. I guess they want to mix their kinos with their, with their Yom Kippers, right? But imagine, see, can you imagine the difference in the Yom Kippur experience seeing the thing turn white? No. You can't, really, but you could. You can imagine imagining, right? For us, it's a lot of stuff that we... This is going to be the whole point of Shem Tzadik. It's a lot of stuff that we believe, and to the extent of our Muna is the extent that Yom Kippur is powerful, but you didn't need a Muna in a certain sense. Because there, there, look, there it is. It turned white. All right? How much Muna did you need to have the red thing turn white? Not so much. 
Because it did it. Yeah, but that's totally dependent. And nowadays, this is where it. Shimon Tzadik was the transition to the Makabo, like we said before. Nowadays, the power of Yom Kippur is entirely dependent on you now. That's right. There's it's lots of people out there. Right? Yeah, there's lots of people out there. For Yom Kippur is the day that you ride your bike in the street. Okay, it's bicycle day in Israel. All right? Because there's no cars in the street. The Abu, yeah, exactly. The Abu Ghosh people, they do drag racing on Yom Kippur. There's a long straight road next to Telstown. So Yom Kippur is the best day ever because they can, they can race in both lanes. All right? They like cars. They're big into cars, these guys. So in plenty of even uh, Jewish people, they have zero experience of Yom Kippur. Right? None. Zippo zero. Yom Kippur, and, and yet Yom Kippur can be an incredibly powerful experience. Right? We can uh, hope we can all testify. Yom Kippur can also be uh, an insane, life-altering experience, but it's entirely dependent. That's what it means to have things beyond the macabre. It's entirely dependent on you and your belief system and the development and the amount of attention that you put into it. Right? No one's forcing it down your throat. There's no red thing that turns white that everyone has to deal with. What the heck was that? You can't not believe in that. There it is. Right? That's the, a, a good kind of uh, example of what we're talking, how much the world changed after the Antichrist Sagadola. Right? We're familiar with this world, but it, it wasn't. Imagine the first Yom Kippur with no, with no thing. Right? Imagine how they felt. No more red turning white. No more clear indication of Hashem's forgiveness. Right? Must have been... Uh, or not. Like, if it's, it stays red, it's also not... It's also not... It's also, it's also, it's also, it's also, yeah, I think they said in his time it always turned white, also. It, it turns this. <laughs> oh, wasn't that one of the things you said? Yeah. So he was... Do you remember the third thing? Oh, the goat for Hashem always came up in the right hand. Oh, that was Now the Yushalmi says, and this is the big one. This is the one that's like the crux of the whole thing. Yishami says that until Shimon Atalik died on Yom Kippur, what's the other, what's everybody else's favorite part? What's the best part of the Yom Kippur thing? Right? Besides the end, or the Kornijay, Kornijay, whatever, what do you call it? Yeah, when everybody hits the floor, right? That's uh-huh. very nice. Yeah, besides the songs and such. Right? When, it's, uh, when everybody's on their knees together and, uh, and he says the Shem Mefoyra, I'm not going to do it, but he does the Shem Mefoyra, Every we all hit the floor and Baruch Shein Kavod Machetz. It's a powerful thing if you're in the zone, if you're in the right headspace. It's very powerful. So saying the Shira Kohen Gadol, the holiest man on the holiest day in the holiest place, saying the Shem Mephorash, which is the, the holiest thing we got, that only happened to Shem Atzadik. When he died, they stopped saying it. Okay? And wow. this is really the, this is the, the, the critical point, which is Hashem was no longer Mephorash in the world after Shem Atzadik. Right? Meforash means it's explicit, it's explained, it's there, okay? Meforash, it's uh, as opposed to being hidden or something I have to medayik out of it. It's not an implication or something I have to look for. Meforash means it's explicit. And so Shem was explicit. The thing turned white. The fire never goes out. Look, there's God. There's no, God was explicit in the world. After his death and the end of that period of time, there was no shame of Meforash anymore. It means the last time anyone heard the Shem Mephorosh, the Jewish people heard the Shem Mephorosh was Shemana Tzadik. Okay, it's been a while since then. But that's how, in, that's how crazy we're talking. Now he's, we talked about the Anshik Nesla being the transition. He is the transition, Shemana Tzadik. Okay, his death was going to change the world. Straight up. And I, I, don't, I don't know if there's another person's death that affected reality that strongly. 
But that's why right? I met Alexander the Great, because in a way that was a reality change. Yeah, yeah this is where the rise of the Greeks, and absolutely, yes. absolutely, you're 100% correct. Right? What, the fact that this happened? This was, uh, this was not such a fantastic thing, uh, fortunately. This is a result of some uh, decisions on the part of the Jewish people that we were... Uh, okay, the Ramam says we have to have a Kar Satov because we wouldn't exist if they hadn't made these mistakes. <laughs> he actually says that. You have a Kar Satov for your ancestors doing Averis, or else we wouldn't be here. But there's an inevitability to all of it anyway. Okay, I don't know. We still believe in Bechir and these things. I love it. So, he says, Shimon HaTzadik is looking at this world and he's saying, we're about to lose the Shem HaMaforosh. Okay? And what that means is that I'm no longer going to look at the world and see God automatically. All these miracles and all these things are about to disappear. Okay? And my ability to look and see God is about to go. And now it's going to be entirely dependent on us and the work that we do. You want to see God, you're going to have to work at it. And that's the problem that he came to address. How do we do that? How do I continue to live in a world where when I look around, I see Hashem, when Hashem's not going to do it for me anymore? Okay? Now I have to do the avoda. What does that look like? What's the process? Okay, so I, I went through this in the, in the Ruach HaZer of Chaim Yivalazhin, Talmud of the Girl, and it, it, uh, you know, it's very uh, he's big into the Kabbalah uh, and stuff. So he, he's talking in a very... Uh, uh, Okay, not very, like a medium level uh, Kabbalistic fashion, we'll say. Um, so I'm going to translate into, into regular uh, language. Okay, he talks a lot about tying together the Elyonim and the Tachtonim and these things, but what, what, he, what he means is what I said. Right? The, 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 what was about to be possible was to experience a physical world totally divorced from Masham. I could experience this place as just a bunch of stuff that's happening. Yom Kippur is just another day. It's totally possible. Right? The fact that we could do that now, right? the, that there's uh, the laws of uh, physics and things are laws. Everything is what it looks like and there isn't anything else going on. That's a possibility to believe that and, to, and, right? and for a person who's not thinking deeply to never have that be challenged. And you know, some people are thinking. Anyway. So that's true. They, that's, a, he was, that's what... Uh, uh, Hoshi Yochan was pointing out. The rise of the Greeks was really from his time, right? So uh, they do, Chazal do uh, point that out, right? The rise of the Greeks and science and all these things was really from him, which makes sense. It all fits together. You could in a way say that we became blinded to the Greeks in a way like the sun is like covering the sky, you cannot see the stars anymore. So in a way what you describe is like a, it's like a natural effect of that. Like Hellenization is like... Yeah, we lost like, the shalom, so to speak. Right, Absolutely. From the good and the bad. It's a very good motion. Yeah. yeah. So we got much better at this world, but we don't see much else. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And now we have cell phones and no God. That's where I ended up. <laughs> right? Amazing phones, not so much God. More phones, less God. That was our uh, movement. So we want more phones, more God. Okay? That's what we're looking for. No, you know, everybody's thinking it's less phones, more God. But we don't need less of anything. Let's have more phones, more God. Why not? It says on the thing out there, by the, you guys see the, the missionary coffee shop over there? That's at Jaffa Gate? Yeah. Need a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. That's what it says on the thing. That's <laughs> 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 what if I want more coffee? <laughs> 
Maybe I get like a hafuch, you know? What if I want, <laughs> I want the coffee-Jesus ratio to be altered somewhat? Okay, good. Very interesting people out there. Doesn't sound kosher. Uh, yeah, not so much. I'm guessing not. Although you'd be surprised. They love when Jews go in those places. All right, good for them. So he says like this. What I need to do is I need to tie together, right, the, the Ruchni world... <laughs> The, the non-physical realm, the realm of, 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 of MS, of truth, and of Hashem's revelation, Ratzon Hashem, and this physical world that I'm experiencing, okay? And there are two ways that I do that. Right? There's the top-down and the bottom-up approach, okay? These are two different, I'm going to tie that world to this world, and I'm going to tie this world to that world, okay? I'm going to be putting Hashem and this world back together, putting Ratzon Hashem and this world back together, manually. Okay? It used to be done for me, and I'd see candles and I'd see Ratz and Hashem because the candle's burning where it shouldn't. So Ratz and Hashem and the physical world were intertwined in a way that no one could ignore. And nobody can deny that that's what was happening. Now you could ignore, so I'm going to have to do it manually. I'm going to have to get in there and uh, jam it together. Right? One of the most disturbing things I, I ever heard medically, we had a cardiologist here. And he said that uh, there's a certain stage of trying to revive someone where you actually put your hand in their chest and physically squeeze the heart to get it moving, and he said he was present for one of those operations, and it was extremely incredible and disturbing at the same time. <laughs> okay, so that's what we got to do to the world. we got to get in there and start pumping it to get it going. Okay, that's what Shimon HaTzadik is going to teach us how to do. So he said it's Torah and Tefillah. Okay, we're going to learn about it as Tefillah, because most people understand, because we're moving into the post-based English world. Torah and Tefillah. Torah is a top-down link between uh, Ratzon Hashem in this world, and Tefillah is a bottom-up approach. Okay, and these are the two ropes we're going to use to pull the, the, the physical and the spiritual, the Shema and the arts together. Okay, that's his uh, language that he uses. But we'll try to do it in, in uh, terms of the world we can understand. Okay, what are you doing when you're, what are, you, what are we doing with Torah all the time? He goes through all the things that Rabbi Ziskan actually quoted the, the day after I read all this stuff. What are we doing with Torah? Okay. We are trying to figure out what Hashem wants, what Hashem said, right? We're sitting here. You're not in your body anymore. We try, I don't know if you guys think about it this way, but you, 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 you plunk your body down into something hopefully somewhat comfortable, okay? And you make sure you add your coffee and your thing, and you get the other human over there, and then you leave your bodies, and you enter this mental realm of... Uh, of, of, of truth and ideas and, and contradictions and things and what you call it, and you're interacting over there. And a lot of times you lose track of time, right? You don't necessarily notice uh, you know, where you are or what's going on, or you, you spilled something, or what, whatever it is, you're not here anymore. And to the extent that you're immersed, we say, you know, in the sugya, I really got into it, to the extent that you mean that I wasn't here physically anymore, I went somewhere else. I went to a, a, a mental realm. The Gemara talks about that the Amarayim were very good at this. Right? Rava was uh, right? sitting on his thing, was bleeding, didn't even notice. Okay? It's a legit out-of-body experience. Uh, at the point, if you've ever been learning seriously and you lost track of time, that's what I'm talking about. Okay? It means you weren't here anymore. And what are the shears that last the longest? The ones where you're not in. Right? If you're not in connecting ideas, every second is like an hour. You very much feel the passage of time. So that's a good way to... Uh, Chazal actually refer to the physical world as the world that's subject to time. A good way to tell how present you are physically is how much time, you're, uh, how's time passing. Okay? In the mental realm, there isn't any time anymore. So real learning, when you get lost in it, you're traveling to a, a spiritual realm. 
Okay? It's weird to talk about it this way, but it's legit true. You want to call it non-physical or mental, makes you feel better? Great. Let's call it a mental realm. Okay? A realm, where are all those ideas? Where are they? That idea that you're in and then you finally see the, the chilek and the thing and you see how he's wrong or you see how he's right. You see that, where are you? You're not here. Those words, that there's no, uh, well, because there's like marks on a page. Because you got black marks on a white page, so you're in the book. You're not in the book. The book is just <coughs> triggering thoughts. You're somewhere else. But now you take all those truths from that world, and what do you do with them? You bring them here, and then you live them here, okay? And that incredible uh, realm of ideas and truths that I travel to, I come back here, and now I don't open the can on Shabbos. Why? Because when I blew out of my body during morning Seder and had a whole experience figuring out Hilchas Bone, the Kalim, and whatever, I came back with the truth that I can't open cans on Shabbos. That's what happened. And now my physical experience of this world is being impacted by the, the truths that I discovered in the Ruchni world. This is why it's a top-down thing. Through the process of learning Torah, I'm entering a world of ideas. I'll say it this way, it's less disturbing. Kind of talk about being out of your body because uh, well, it bothers part. people, right? It's true. <laughs> it. You don't necessarily think about it that way, but think about what you do. You're traveling to a mental world. What do you guys do all day in this place? You're sitting across from a person at a table. This is like the most unphysical activity imaginable. Right? Your body's just in the way. If we could take the bodies off and leave them at the door, this would be much easier. Okay? Your body's annoying because it needs a coffee and it needs to use a bathroom and the legs need to, you need to stand up. And what do you call it? The body just gets in the way of the learning process. Okay? Bodies are not, your, your physical self is an interference. Okay? You want to feed it, feed it, rest it, make sure it's comfortable so it won't bother you. Have them first and then let's go. And you travel to a world of ideas, and now I bring back those ideas into this world. Where now, the way that now I have to lend people money. Right? Now somebody needs money, I have to lend them money. Like those halachas. Now I can't open cans on Shabbos. Right? Every, all these halachas, now it's when all these physical activities are being influenced by the truths that I've discovered in, my, in the immersion in Torah. Okay? So I'm starting with the mental realm, and I'm moving it into the physical realm. And what? where that... Yeah, sorry, we have lots of... Uh... Oh, so just uh, as a ride for what you're saying, I have a friend who's like obsessed with getting more coach. He's also like a huge shot. <laughs> I don't know, like, <laughs> his creations have been high, but like he went to a bar of Kodesh, actually, and he asked, he asked this question. So he said, like, yeah. I told him, like, the one, there's many things like watching guarding your eyes, motion heart, things like that, but he said, uh, one of the main things is you have to be able to sit down for eight hours straight and learn Torah without any interruption. Like, no bathroom, no greens. Excellent. You have to, be able to leave your body, yeah, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Like, but, like, literally, like, nothing. You have to eight hours straight. It's like, if you can get to that point, you're getting a good sign that you're. Uh, nice. You should write a book or something. <laughs> you know, like a handbook. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. What were you, Moshe? <laughs> yeah, just like, I guess, a regular literature yeshiva, if you're careful with your mind. We still very much play to the rule because the ideas you grab from the other world are basically all thoughts that are applicable to here. So, in a way, that's in a way it's weird that you would go to another world to talk about this world. Like, yeah, that was the amazing thing of Moshe bringing down the Torah that now the whole truth got translated into this world's terms. So I get to bring it here now. But you would assume that if you go to another world, you think about that world. Yeah, but think that's what's so crazy. They always think about Kabbalah Torah. You ever see there's a uh, there's a in Sukkah so there's a and it's like all the shiurim are halachal mosh misinai, right? So like lavud is halachal mosh misinai. And if you're within three tefachim, we halachally consider it to be close. There's no halachal sukkah, whatever these. Yeah, that sukkah is not so long. Ago. 
So that's halacha mosh misinai. It always, it, it, I always find it like uh, it it, it uh, amuses me somewhat. It's like Moshe went up the revelation. You know, Hashem ripped apart the universe, and we had like the revelation of absolute truth, and He handed it down all the way to us. And you know what it is? That when you build the wall, <laughs> so if it's within 24 centimeters, so that's called closed. That's closed. It's like really? No, he said, when you're a cow, wait for it, when you, it's like, that's the deep, what? But yeah, yeah, that's what happened. Right? And it is the deepest thing in the universe, but it, it translated into our terms. So that's stage one that we'll do today. Stage one of, of, of uh, turning my world into a world that gets reconnected between the physical and Ratzon Hashem is going to be the process of Torah. Right? I'm going to go figure out the truth, which a.k.a. Ratzon Hashem, and I'm going to bring it in here. Shem's not going to put it in here himself anymore. I've got to go get it. So I'm going to sit and pound out what the truth is, and then I'm going to put it into my life. All right? That's step one. Ratzon Hashem tomorrow, we'll get into step two and three. Uh, it's very exciting. I never, this area is a new approach that I, I never saw before, and it's, uh, I, it, it seems very powerful. All right? Good everybody.